Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank a couple sponsors that we were able to secure for this season, uh, season five of The Scuttlebutt. It's exciting to be able to get sponsors for this. Uh, we're really thankful for them. Uh, the first one, you might have heard of them already, is D&D Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. The Scuttlebutt's been pairing with D&D for quite some time. Uh, D&D began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s and has grown into a full service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarrantown. These are state-of-the-art scrapyards with deep roots in the community and a strong commitment to the service of their customers. D&D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D, &D, that's D and D, autosalvage.com. Thank you, D&D, &D, for supporting this podcast. Uh, been wonderful collaborating with you, and uh, we're looking forward to, to being with you uh, all through season five here. We'd also like to thank a new sponsor for the Scuttlebutt, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. Tobacco-Free Adagio Health is dedicated to preventing and reducing tobacco use and increasing education about tobacco hazards and secondhand smoke. Of course, the best way to be tobacco-free is to never start. And we'll be sharing more about the many programs offered by Tobacco-Free Adagio Health in the future. You can check out more of their work at tobaccofree.adagiohealth. That's A-D-A-G-I-O health.org. Tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Org. Um, really excited to have sponsors on board uh, for the Scuttlebutt, and uh, I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. I think a lot of people, when they hear the you know American Red Cross, they hear or they think about you know disasters. Sometimes they think of blood or health and safety, but you don't hear too much about our service to the armed forces program. Welcome everyone to The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. I myself am not a veteran, and uh, I've really been loving what we do here on The Scuttlebutt, which is trying to understand military culture from a civilian perspective. Um, so we dabble in a lot of different military topics, and I thought it would be a good idea to reach out to the local American Red Cross chapter, as they do have a program called Service to the Armed Forces. Now, the American Red Cross, uh, they help people to prepare for, respond to, and recover from disasters, big and small. And each year they provide assistance following more than 2,200 area disasters, most of which are home fires. Their mission is to prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilizing the power of volunteers and the generosity of donors. Pauline Duncan, the regional manager of the greater Pennsylvania region, will be joining us to talk about her role with the Red Cross, more about the mission, and more about the service to the armed forces and how uh, the armed forces and the American Red Cross sort of collaborate and work together, uh, how they help veterans out and active military. I thought this would be a great opportunity for the scuttlebutt to kind of dive into what the roles and responsibilities are of the Red Cross when it comes to the armed forces. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you're new to us, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you are the first to know whenever we release new episodes every Monday. And uh, please drop me a line, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have any thoughts or comments, questions, concerns, any of that stuff, 
really love to hear from our audience. Thank you again for watching and for being a supporter of the podcast. Enjoy the episode. My name is Pauline Duncan. Um, I am the regional manager for service to armed forces and international programs for the American Red Cross, um, Greater Pennsylvania. Um, I've been with the Red Cross for 22 years mm -hmm. um, and started in disaster services and, and had a little bit of uh, military and international programming and probably within the last 10 years, just full military and international programs. So yeah. So as we were saying, it, it, we're talking here that, that this history goes back 140 years. And, you know, in the scuttlebutt, we usually only talk with, you know, veterans. Um, but I think it's interesting. Both of us are civilians. Both of us have a passion for, for veterans, um, obviously. And uh, can you give us a bit of a background of how these two organizations uh, have, have intersected? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, like I mentioned, you know, earlier, like um, I come from a military family. I'm, I haven't served myself, but, uh, you know, I have brothers and sisters that served for, served for a number of years, uh, Army and one Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> How did those two get along? Yeah, that's quite interesting. You can see the difference for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like we said, the Red Cross was started over like 140 years ago on the battlefield, which is very interesting. You know, um, it started, you know, with Claire Barton. Mm -hmm. um, she, she had saw with, you know, what Henry Dunant or Henri Dunant was doing overseas. And uh, he had already started the International Committee of the Red Cross. And how that was started was he just uh, uh, was on a business trip, Swiss businessman on a business trip and ran into a conflict between the, um, what was it, the Swiss and the French? Don't let me get this mixed up. But anyway, they were, there was conflict and uh, he gathered up, you know, some of the locals as volunteers to help, you know, the wounded and sick. And that's pretty much how the Red Cross got started. Claire Barton heard of what he was doing, wanted to know more about it, visited, met with him and started the American Red Cross. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> very, very. So the Red Cross, like there's different chapters all across the country. Maybe give us an overview of just like where the Red Cross is now. Oh my goodness. Yes, there are. There, there's Red Cross everywhere. Anywhere you could go, there's a Red Cross office. Trust me. Here, just in our region, we call them regions, and then we have divisions. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're Northeastern Division, and we cover, our Northeastern Division covers from Pennsylvania all the way up to like Boston, Connecticut, New York, and all those, those areas. And then Greater Pennsylvania covers um, 61 counties. Mm. 61 counties. So um, being a regional manager, that's how many counties I cover. <laughs> um, so there's, we have eight chapters within our county, I mean, within our region. And then there's uh, Southeastern PA, which is Philly. They have like three, three, I think three counties, three or four counties out of Pennsylvania. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of Red Cross chapters and, you know, regions and divisions. They're all divided up. Um, I don't know exactly all of them, but <laughs> And obviously, you guys have been very busy. We'll get into this in a little bit with the pandemic, but um, the Red Cross is pretty much there to respond to uh, disasters and provide relief for that. Um, so when you say division, like it, it's all sort of comes down like almost a domino effect. Like every, everybody is covered in some way if there were to be some disaster at some place in the United States. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. And uh, all of us, you know, and, and within our uh, regions, divisions, chapters, we all have like, you know, like a responsibility when it comes to disasters. So we all have like a, a, a job that we do. So for instance, I'm, I do military and international programs, but when, a, when there's a large disaster, one of my, um, my job or volunteer that I do is uh, reunification. So I would be deployed to wherever that disaster is. It could be anywhere, anywhere in the country, um, anywhere in the world for that matter. Um, and I would uh, make sure that families are connected. They mm. may have lost contact. So I would try to make sure that those families are reconnected or, you know, or, or re, yeah, reunited some kind of way. So, you know, for instance, when there was like, I went to help with the floods a few years ago down in Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas yeah. <laughs> families were separated because, you know, they had to evacuate. They had to leave their home and they were displaced. So they were in shelters and family members didn't know where they were. So mm. it was just a matter of, you know, we had boots on the ground that would go and knock on doors or try to check with neighbors or check with, you know, the shelters that we had set up or that we supported. And we would check to see if those family members were there to make that connection back. So mm -hmm. yeah, we're, yeah, disasters happen every day, everywhere. And we do have teams of volunteers and staff that help and that when they're, when we're needed for sure. Yeah. I imagine that the Red Cross is like the biggest volunteer organization on the planet. Like you guys pretty much run completely off volunteer support almost, right? Yes, yes, we do. That's the thing. That's the beauty of it. Our volunteers are, are the ones that do all, all of, a lot of the work for sure. Mm -hmm. We're, we as staff just pretty much support them you know, get them all the items that they need to pretty much do whatever's needed. Um, um, but yeah, we're definitely a, a volunteer-led organization, for were sure. You, were you a volunteer before you uh, came on with the Red Cross as an employee? No, I was not. <laughs> no. And the funny thing about that, when I actually uh, uh, joined the Red Cross in, you know, in 2000, yeah, I guess it was 2000, mm -hmm. um, I actually thought that you had to swim. That's how much I knew about uh -huh. the Red Cross. I'm like, oh, you can join the Navy and not know how to swim. So <laughs> it's just so funny. I was just like, I don't know why that was. I just thought I had to swim. I mean, and we do have uh, those classes. We do have uh, swim classes where we train uh, lifeguards, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to learn that. <laughs> so why did you decide to join the Red Cross? What drew you to the organization? The mission. The mission really drew me. It really drew me to, you know, to alleviate human suffering and in the face of disasters. I mean, how could you not be drawn to that mission, you know, to, to help? And I think that's always what I wanted to do. And, you know, in my life, I, I went to college and I studied psychology. And after college, I worked for, you know, um, I worked for Department of Human Services for a little bit. And and then, you know, when I found that the Red Cross was, you know, of immediate needs, whereas when I was working with Department of Human Services, it was like long drawn out. And I liked helping, you know, immediately being there. We're not first responders. Like I said, I started in disaster services as a caseworker. Um, we're not first responders, but I think I would say that we're probably at least third or fourth responders. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first responders are usually the fire department, you know, the, mm -hmm. the other uh Salvation Army supports the fire department. And then, you know, they're calling the Red Cross to help, you know, the family that's displaced. So right. it kind of drew me, yes. It's very interesting. And then uh, you have to compliment those first responders in some way. Whenever you come in, 
it's almost like you see in the movies how the cops come in and they're like this isn't your jurisdiction um <laughs> but really like the red cross like you guys have to come in and sort of work with them and how does that how does that interchange work yeah, it's 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 pretty smooth. It's pretty smooth, you know. They know that the Red Cross is is there to, to come and help the families. Like I said, you know, a lot of times the Salvation Army they're they're supporting the fire the firemen and women, so they're supplying. You know, if there's you know uh, re beverages or refreshments they need to give, they're helping the families as well. You know, and even until we get there, they might be supplying them with a blanket or whatever. And then once the Red Cross gets there, we're making contact with the fire chief, you know, finding out who the fire victims are and, and meeting with them and, and trying to meet their needs. If it's, you know, putting them up for a couple of days, you know, until they can figure out their next steps or providing, you know, clothing or, you know, food or, or whatever their immediate need is, we're going to help with that at that time. Yep. And sometimes we're called by, you know, by the fire department, or we could even be called by the Salvation Army saying, hey, we got a family here that had a fire and are displaced, and they're calling and letting us know so we can get there. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking, like, you, you mentioned that your brothers and sisters have all served. It seems like you have, like, a, a family of service, you know, including yourself. And how did that come about? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've I come from a small town here in, in Western Pennsylvania and, you know, very, very small. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things you did, you either, you either went to the military <laughs> or you found a job and went somewhere or you went to college. So, you know, that was the steps that my brothers and sisters took. They, they wanted to join the military. They wanted to serve and, you know, and, and provide for our country and, and serve. So that's what they did. But when it came to me and, and I have a twin brother, when it came to us, we decided we wanted to go to college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was enough of us that went to the military, you know, and so we were just like, yeah, we'll go to college and, and see what that's all about. <laughs> what did we always ask this with the BBC, but what did your what did your parents think of everyone joining the military? They were fine with that. They were definitely yeah. fine with that. Yep. Yep. They 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 really liked that that was something that my brothers and sisters or my siblings chose to do mm -hmm. and supported them no matter what. That's awesome. Um now, going back to this idea of like alleviating human suffering, like, um, and also with the idea of complementing first responders, thinking about that sort of what, what you do with your title of, of service to the armed forces, what is that like? How, how do you support the armed forces and, and how, how does that interchange uh, work out? Oh, so how we support the, the military, the armed forces is Wow, we do a lot for uh, we do a lot of programming, which is which makes me excited. I'm always super excited to talk about the programs that we offer, um, and we still do what we did like over 140 years ago, mm -hmm. making that connection with families. So, mm -hmm. so if a service member is deployed overseas or anywhere outside of their home, and there's an emergency here at home, you know the families will call us, and we will verify that emergency and and deliver it to wherever that service member is stationed anywhere in the world mm -hmm. um and we always tell the family members make sure you have their information because that's what we're going to ask we're going to ask where they're stationed you know you know where what unit they belong with you know and then we're going to verify that emergency with a verifying official and make sure that's delivered in a timely manner. So we always reach out to the families to let them know what we do ahead of time. So if an emergency happens, they have that information because that can delay getting that message delivered to wherever that service member is stationed. Is it just a message or can it be gift boxes or different like needs? Uh, we do messages, emergency okay. 
practice. And so, if it, so you know, we deliver that emergency message so the military can make that decision. We do not make that decision if they come home or not. The military makes that decision, but we just deliver it for them. I mean, they have more than enough things to do to then, you know, really worry about trying to gather all this information. So we kind of just gather it all for them and mm -hmm. verify for them so they can make that decision if there's going to be leave or not. Can you give me an idea of a recent one that that maybe was approved and how that how that process worked? Are uh, we have a lot of uh, they're pretty uh, common the ones that we usually get it's usually like a you know a death of a family member okay. and it's usually an immediate family member so like the parents a sibling grandparents um, we can do it. Uh, aunt and uncle if there's an extenuating circumstance that means if you know if they raise that service member as their own child because their mm -hmm. parents are available but we do not do like extended family member and so what that looks like um, we might have um, mom call us and say hey you know my son or daughter is in the military and her his or her father passed away mm -hmm. and I want to get them home you know I need to get them home so you know or or volunteer or, or call center worker will will um, ask them you know all the preliminaries you know what happened who can they reach to verify that emergency and then they'll also ask the the parent you know what's the service members information where are they stationed you know and once they gather all of that they will call wherever that service member is stationed and, and deliver that message mm -hmm. they'll deliver it to the command and the command will make sure that the service member gets that message. Um, the family will sometimes request that a chaplain be available to you know, deliver that message to that service like member. Like a military chaplain working with the- Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So if there's a military chaplain available, they will be there to deliver that message to the service member. And we also have staff that's um, uh, deployed overseas with the military. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting part. We do have- really? uh, Yes, we do have Red Cross staff that are, that's there wherever the service members, wherever the military station. So we have, you know, uh, Red Cross in different countries that will will help with delivering the message. They help with building morale for the uh, for the men and women serving. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's Red Cross stations all over. <laughs> how do how do they help build morale? They get um, sometimes, like you you have mentioned, do we send care packages? So they would be the ones that would receive care packages from from you know other. Uh, offices or just people who want to send care packages mm -hmm. and they make sure that the servicemen and women get them. Um, they also offer like courses and classes where that they can uh, learn CPR, first aid, uh, resiliency. We have resiliency courses that are taught also on a military installation. So they just do a variety of different things to try to, you know, just build that morale and just, you know, give them a little taste of home. Sometimes they're helping with, you know, serving food or for the holidays and they'll have like a little parties and stuff just to make it seem like home even though they're you know in another country yeah how long is a deployment like that with the red cross so a deployment depending <laughs> so it's been of like um like a high a high active zone like maybe like kuwait or afghanistan or something like that those deployments could be like six months you know mm -hmm. they'll get trained with the military like the person the red cross will go to usually Fort Benning, Georgia, or something like that, and do training alongside with the military, and then be deployed for a six-month stint. Then we do have staff that are there for like three or four-year rotations. 
Wow. And, yeah. and they don't come out of that being considered a, a veteran, but I mean, if you're, if you're within those bases, you're, you're in a pretty kinetic area to begin with. Exactly, exactly. We have like staff that are deployed, um, they're deployed overseas and, you know, some are like in Italy and different places and they do Hawaii or whatever, and they could do like four year rotation. So they're there for four years and then, you know, they'll see what's their, what's their next location they're going to. So, yeah. I did not know about this. This is, this is really fascinating. Um, uh, who, I was like, who, <laughs> who would decide that that's what they want to do? But I guess if you could be deployed to Hawaii, not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I often, I, I sometimes I see that up, and I'm like, hmm, can I go and do go to Hawaii? I mean, I'm. It, it would be similar to what I'm doing here, stateside. You know, you would do, you know, but you do a little bit more because you have you encompass all of the programs. So you would be the person who would do disaster drills. You'd be the person that would do be trained to do CPR and first aid classes. You'd be the person that to help with the blood. So you're encompassing all of our departments in one on a military installation. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is involved um, with active military. So how do you help transitioning uh, soldiers uh, transition back to civilian life? Is there any programs for that? And then do you also work with veterans? So yes, we have our resiliency uh, workshops that we offer. Um, and, you know, we, we know that the military has resiliency workshops too, that they, you know, that's, I guess, mandatory for the servicemen, men and women to take. And then we have ours. So it's, you know, we try to push ours, but, you know, they're going to take the mandatory, you know, and, and not want to, <laughs> and not want any additional ones. But ours, I think, are kind of complementary to the military resiliency workshops. You know, they're not like, you know, it's not all PowerPoints and slides and all that. You know, it's really like, uh, in person, uh, really like almost like set up in, in groups or whatever. Not so much in person now because of what's going on, mm -hmm. but we do run, uh, we still run our resiliency workshops through like Zoom and um, and teams, you know, yeah. um, but the workshops are really nice. Those are good for transitioning military uh, members. You know, we have workshops to help them deal with uh, stress, solutions, uh, communication, uh, dealing with uh, children, you know, their family, because, you know, they're coming back. They've been in the military for how long, you know, and just trying to adapt and transition back home. So right. our resiliency workshops kind of kind of like hone in on those types of things that that's going to help them build that relationship back. And, and, and also on the flip side, it's going to help the family, you know, be able to communicate with that service member coming home, you know, they've been in the military all this time, you know, and so it's, it's, you know, the, the husband or, or the wife or the children, you know, they got to get used to mom and dad or whomever being back home. Mm -hmm. So we offer those resi resiliency workshops to kind of help with that. Wow. So take me through the, I mean, you've had a long career with the Red Cross, but over the last couple of years, obviously with the pandemic, a lot of things shifted and changed, I'm sure. Um, but the Red Cross has still very much been, you know, at the forefront. You know, you've heard a lot about volunteers and first responders and, and giving blood and setting up, you know, um, uh, checks like testing clinics, things like that. I don't know how much the Red Cross may be a part of that, but uh, how has the Red Cross uh, sort of refashioned itself to be able to handle this crisis, which is nationwide, worldwide, really, but um, very much, much bigger than, you know, Hurricane Katrina? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we ha we've had to pivot. You know, in our um, offering or in, in 
in response. You know, like I, I don't work in disaster services, but you know, I still I still get the emails that tell me if there was a fire last night and what's going on. So I, I like to keep that my you know my foot in there in the door, so to speak, just to to know what's going on. You know, and I should because people can ask me questions about it. But um, I know for disaster services, some of the things that they had to do was just different different ways of responding. You know, you you might have to respond where you're not uh, the volunteers would meet here at the office and leave in one vehicle all together and go to the disaster scene. So they might now just go in two separate vehicles just because of COVID, you know, with, with the pandemic going on and stuff like that, wear masks, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just things like that and just meeting with the clients. They're still responding and they're still meeting with the clients, but it's just, you know, a little bit different that they might be able to respond and, and keep themselves safe and the clients safe as well. Um, and I, and I, the other thing, when this happened, I noticed I did virtual deployment for a, a flood. I think it was in New Orleans when the pandemic happened and a virtual lot of deployment. So that's really yeah. what it turned into is virtual deployments. Okay. Exactly. Turn into virtual deployments. They've limited the, the boots on the ground. Yeah. So to because, you know, the boots on the ground could be, there's so many different, there's so many different uh, jobs to be done on the ground and volunteers. There's volunteers that are doing financial stuff. There's volunteers that are doing logistics. There are volunteers that are, you know, just doing reunification like I do. There's volunteers that are doing casework. So yeah, so it all had to be like limited. And the ones that were needed to be on the ground were on the ground. The ones that could do virtual we're doing virtual. So, mm -hmm. you know, you were just calling in and just trying to do this virtually from your home, which was quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure very challenging. Um, how, how do you fit a volunteer with which service? Is it based on their history and their experience or is it something that they are, they can be trained for? Well, both, they can be trained. And, you know, a lot of times volunteers, you know, we get a lot of retirees or people that retire, they don't want to do the same thing they did in their job for the last 20, 30 years. They want something different. And we tell them, you know, they can be trained for any, any disaster function that we have. And let me tell you, we have tons of them, especially in disaster. We have, like I said, different ones from every walk of life. Mm -hmm. Somebody could find their niche at the Red Cross for sure. So, um, it, so when I retire, I can still get that Hawaii deployment. <laughs> yes, yes, you can get trained. You can get trained and you can get that deployment. The lovely thing about it is like, no matter where you get trained, what Red Cross office, it follows you. So you okay. could be here, you could be trained here in Pittsburgh and, and do disaster and do military programming and your family is decided to move to California. Mm -hmm. And you want to go and, and live, you know, work in California. And you can also, you can start volunteering at the office. Your records just get transferred to your, the closest Red Cross office and you can get started right away. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to talk a bit about sort of the double-edged sword of this is that being a volunteer that you might have to go into some of these more difficult areas. What is the danger uh, level? The danger level, Sue? So, you know, all our volunteers are, are trained of what to expect mm -hmm. and you know and of course there's you know a, a health record that you you know you have to be pretty much in, in good health to to be able to be deployed mm -hmm. and and do these types of things um and they're covered by the red cross so if something would happen mm -hmm. but um we take you know safety you know serious so of course you know, the same thing that we would be protected and, and make sure that we're safe is the same thing with the volunteers 
you know? So, I mean, it could be going to a disaster scene, you know, mm-hmm. just, just making sure that, you know, you have your, you know, you're dressed for it. You have your hard hat. If, if not, you know, whatever, a lot of times they're, they're not going into the home, you know, they're meeting a the client. So it's just taking those necessary steps to make sure to think about your safety first. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're made of, they're made aware of what the, you know, what it could be sometimes being deployed, you know, we're, being deployed and helping and for a hurricane, whatever, you're staying in a shelter too, and you're sleeping on cots. So you need to know these, you know, these types of things before you go. You're not going to be in a comfy hotel. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, what is the difference between sort of Red Cross at the community level, the state level, national level? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. So I guess at the community, uh, here at the local level, like I said, we have um, we have our regions, we have our divisions, and then we have chapters within those. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all pretty much report up to headquarters, and our national headquarters is in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So Washington, D.C. is the hub of the American Red Cross. <laughs> yeah. So all, everything, all the guidance, all everything comes down from them to our divisions, to our regions, and then to the local chapters. So um, yeah, that's pretty much how that's pretty much all I could tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> how have how have volunteer numbers been over the last couple of years with the pandemic? Have they stayed pretty consistent? Um, uh, I think you, the beginning of the pandemic, like anybody else, it 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 did we did suffer a little bit. It was a little bit slow because you know a lot of our programming was in person. You mm-hmm. know. Face- face to face, you know, just like even with the military program, we have volunteers that are at the um, MEPS, the military entrance processing station. We have volunteers that are doing briefings to family members there where, you know, the ship, the, uh, the men and women or the, the kids, I say, are being shipped off for the first time and joining the military being sworn in. We have briefers that were there and would be briefing the family of Red Cross programs, how to reach us if there's an emergency and things like that. So we had to, you know, the volunteers were no longer there, mm-hmm. you know, so we had to think of other ways to be able to, to get that message to the family, you know, so, um, so even, you know, just getting new volunteers, it did slow down, you know, volunteers coming in. So we had to had to think about what uh, positions that we were going to promote that would get volunteers. Like our caseworkers, mm-hmm. they're all they're all uh, remote. They're all remote, so they work from home or they work in the office. So that program didn't suffer at all because um, they were used to not being in the office anyway. So we would just push uh, a lot of our our volunteer positions that were like from home or virtual or things like that um, to get to get volunteers. But we did we did you know see a slow a slow trickle coming in of volunteers. I couldn't tell you for per se how the numbers because I don't work in that department. We do have a volunteer services department, but um, yeah, our numbers did did lag a little bit. How does one become a volunteer? So one becomes a volunteer by just, you know, logging onto our website. Our website, www.redcross.org, has everything you would need to know how to get in touch with your local Red Cross chapter. It's just a matter of putting in your zip code and you're connected with your local Red Cross. And um, we have volunteers. Um, we have volunteer service department. We have recruiters 
that will get your information and and just reach you once you register for the Red Cross. So, and for those yeah. of you watching on YouTube, I've pulled up their website. Uh, mainly the 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 military families, specifically, I should say, the military families uh, portion of the Red Cross website. And there is right below here, it's here. Um, so it's, it's probably as easy as just clicking this, but uh, each year Red Cross provides more than 471,000 services to service members, veterans and their families by leveraging a network of some 14,700 volunteers around the world. Um, that's a that's a incredible number. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and those services is really what it's saying, like services defined means just helping the families. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, we have a number of programs in our uh, service to armed forces program. We have our caseworkers that are dealing with emergency communication messages. We have them that are dealing with uh, our local community critical care messages where we have a veteran that might call in that's like, oh, you know, I'm homeless or I need help with utilities or this or that. We have caseworkers that are working those cases. And we also have caseworkers that are doing our our family contact cards, which is our families that we meet at the MEPS, at the Military Interest Processing Station. There's caseworkers that will follow up with each of those family members to make sure they know how to reach us if there's an emergency and make sure they have our brochures and have this information here at hand and, mm -hmm. and just all of our other programs we share with them to just, you know, if there's a disaster, military family, how to get in touch with us for a disaster or anything. Um, and like I said, we also have a resiliency programs. We have volunteers that we place at the VA hospital. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's volunteers that are, they're, I, they're like dual, dual volunteers. We call them the Red Cross volunteers and also VA volunteers. So they work at the VA hospital and help the staff with some of their programming there. So there's a lot of programs that we, we try to offer for our, you know, for our families and, and support them, resources and everything. We've, we've talked a bit about on the scuttlebutt uh, previously about homeless veterans, such a big problem in the country. Uh, I just noticed you mentioned it. So uh, how, how can homeless veterans get help through the Red Cross? Um, a lot of times when we get calls for, you know, for the, for, from veterans in the community that are seeking, you know, um, housing or employment or any type of financial assistance, um, we, we try to tap into our local resources. So we'll reach out to a community partner. We don't offer any financial assistance assistance per se, but uh, we also work with military aid societies. So there is a, a financial assistance, um, I guess, uh, number that that retirees or, or, or somebody who's been in the military can call to see if they qualify for the military aid society. So we have uh, workers that will gather that information for the military aid societies of each branch and mm -hmm. pass it on to them for them to make that decision if they can get you know whatever financial assistance that that's needed so a lot of times we'll just work a case and try to connect them with community resources so we might connect them with other military or veteran programs in within a community how many cases are you working on currently <laughs> me myself um i think i have one case that's in a queue my volunteers are actually the ones that are <laughs> Cases. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you have a, a plethora of volunteers that are sort of just, you know, all have balls in the air. Oh, yes, we probably work. Uh, let me see. It's, you know, when I should have ran those numbers, because I'm just thinking we have um, how many of our chapters, we have like eight chapters, each chapter monthly cases could could average between 30, 30 cases. So each chapter a month. 
30k so almost like one a day like yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's so we're so the caseworkers are pretty busy so we're always looking for new caseworkers they're pretty mm -hmm. busy and when we have our you know our community or community care cases which is like i said the veterans who might call in for that those ones could take some time because you know we're really trying to see what resources are in the community that can help them you know you know with those types of things we have you know a lot of our um we have a couple caseworkers that are trained to do um they're trained to do grants through for some of the um through one of the programs that offers grants so they'll gather that information for that program uh, from the, you know, the veteran that's calling in and try to get them, you know, a grant to help with whatever the financial need is for. Other than volunteering, how can civilians assist the, the Red Cross, help support the Red Cross? Oh, always donations. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the key, that's the key word, nonprofit. <laughs> nonprofit, yes, we do have our financial, uh, financial services department that, you know, have, um, that look for donations mm -hmm. because we are a nonprofit and, um, you know, we don't receive any other funds. So we're looking to always get donations from the general public to help with the services we offer. Um, especially, you know, even with disasters, with disasters happening every day, or even sometimes twice or three times a day yeah. throughout the region, you know, you can imagine how funds can be depleted that fast. So, you bring up a good point and, and a lot of it it may be you know supporting if there's a fire different different disasters but yeah if you have how do you uh how do you support when there is multiple three four five disasters in a given day and, and disasters it's it's a big term because we think like hurricane katrina is a disaster but it could be something as local as a fire at a house is that right yeah Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's what we support locally on a daily basis is a fire, like a home fire. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the Red Cross is going to be there to respond if there's, uh, you know, flooding. The Red Cross is going to be there, be there to respond. So that's that's daily. Mm -hmm. That you know, there's there's multiple fires throughout our region daily. That you know, I see that we have volunteers going out. Like I said, they'll meet at the local office and then they disperse and go right to where the disaster is and meet with mm -hmm. the families. So a volunteer could potentially, I mean, work throughout the entire day at, at a couple different fires, a couple different disasters, or the, you know, or you have enough volunteers that are just able to be sort of dispersed throughout the community whenever these hit. Oh yeah, absolutely. They could respond to like one or two a day mm -hmm. and or, or, you know, if there's one happening at the same time, they could, another backup team could be called in to, to help. And that's happened before when I, I can remember when I was doing disaster services and, and supporting the volunteers and being on call with a volunteer, we ran like all day long and we just responded from to fire after fire, sat down and went to, went to eat had bre had breakfast and then we went to the next fire and then we went to the next one so it could be it could very well be like that um and that's why we're always looking for volunteers again for disaster services and you know volunteers can be trained for any of our programs um you've been with the red cross again for 22 years but uh where do you see your career trajectory going do you want to continue on working with the armed forces i do i do i love I really do. I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here for 22 years if I didn't like what I do. And That's I true. do. 
I think, you know, there's just so much that, you know, that I could do. And there's just so much. And I just love helping people, especially military and international. I never, I didn't talk much about our international. Yeah. Yeah. Can you lead us through a bit of that? Yeah. So our international services program is, uh, one of our key programs is restoring family links. That's what it's called. And it's again, connecting families that have been separated due to civil unrest or conflict or disaster in their country. So they might have lived, they may have fled their country and lived in a, in a refugee camp for who knows long, how long, for a number of years. And they've been, uh, a resettlement agency has got them here to Pittsburgh. So now, you know, they're here in Pittsburgh and their family who may still be in their country that they left or in the, in the uh, refugee camp has lost contact with them. They can send a Red Cross message to that family member to let them know that they're okay, you know, and, and where they are. So we kind of make that connection with, uh, with our international clients. Has the Red Cross been very involved with when Afghanistan uh, was handed back over to the Taliban? Yes. Yes, um, some, you know, some of the families that have, that, that have come to Pittsburgh, we've had uh, volunteers and, and staff help with, you know, just setting up their, their, uh, their places that they moved to, like help them with furniture and stuff like that, donations that were, that were given. Um, we've had volunteers help with that. And that's one thing we did talk about here on the podcast, because it sort of happened while we've been producing the episodes. And um, that was, it was sort of a side special episode that I, I recorded about how you can help these refugees that are coming out of Afghanistan that may be getting settled in your city. Um, is the Red Cross somebody I could call and say, hey, I, I want to help support uh, some, you know, any a Afghans, uh, Afghans who have come over? Uh, is there a way to do that? I think a lot of it comes from the, the resettlement agencies. Okay. Um, you know, the best is probably to call them mm -hmm. and, and, and see what the need is and, and go from there. We're mm -hmm. kind of like a, a support to them. So we're not so much, you know, the, the go-to person or the contact, but we're supporting them in helping, you know, those families that whatever their needs are. So I would probably say getting in touch with the resettlement agency would be the best way. And do you still, you take volunteers even for the international services that you provide? Oh yeah, absolutely. We do take volunteers because we do get cases sometimes where we might receive a Red Cross message from, let's say the Sudan mm -hmm. and they have family member here. So we have to deliver that message to, to that person. So we'll have uh, volunteer caseworkers that will go out and, and, you know, deliver that message to the family. Um, yeah, and we have also another program within our international services, our international humanitarian law. So we have uh, volunteers that are trained. We have, you know, licensed or not licensed. We have instructors that are trained to to kind of teach that to uh, high schools and colleges and, and things like that because it's you know it's very important to to know about the international humanitarian law and the military. The military has that you know and they learn that as well when they're <laughs> yeah. when they join the military. You know, it's the rules, it's the, what is it? The rules of war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, Pauline, this has been really educational. I mean, I, you sort of get onto the Red Cross website and I kind of, you know, you, you, there's a lot of different things to click on and there's a national website and then there's the sort of the more specific local chapter website. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really glad that we got the chance to sit down and sort of dissect a lot of these different things because you'll see the Red Cross, you see the, you know, it's, it, they're sort of there, but I, I've never really dove into 
what all of their responsibilities are or what all of their services are, which is really great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Um, I hope to have you on again, and especially, you know, as, as you continue on with the, the armed services uh, 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 portion of, of your job, like I'd love to talk to you more about that and see how it continues to develop, especially through, you know, COVID as we start to, you know, maybe come out of the pandemic and some of the more services that you've offered start to sprout a little bit more again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I could talk about our programs all day long. <laughs> and thank you to our audience. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube or connect with me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Or if you have a question for Pauline or would like to connect with the Red Cross, I'd be happy to pass on any information to Pauline as well. Um, thank you again, Pauline. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.